Morning, everybody. A beautiful morning to gather together. Well, we're going to be continuing our study through um, the book of Ephesians, as uh, Jacob has just alluded to, um, the second half of Ephesians chapter 2. I want us to think for a moment the different things that divide us as people, that separate us, that keep us apart, that might cause some animosity or division. I have a picture here of the Berlin Wall, a wall that divided a city into two until it was taken down in November 1989. There are still cities divided by walls. This picture here is the last city or a wall of the last city that is divided into two, the city of Nicosia in Cyprus, still divided between those on that side of the wall and those on this side of the wall. We think of race. It's coming up, we hear a lot about the different conflicts between races, uh, race um, and the racism that occurs in that. Ideologies. This is, um, I think, someone who is, likes a certain type of food that others don't like. So you've got the vegetarians, the meat eaters, the vegans, uh, the raptors, the herbivores. Um, but we have ideologies based on gender and sex, a whole lot of, of different things that are, are vying for this is what we are. And if you aren't with us, you're not. You're on the other side. The haves, the have-nots. We saw yesterday the MCG full of people who were on this side or that side on the slide. <laughs> In Bible times, there was a chasm of um, Grand Canyon proportions between the Jews and the Gentiles. There was deep-seated hostility between these two groups of people and it wouldn't be too strong to say that the Jews hated the Gentiles, the Gentiles hated the Jews. Hate wasn't too strong a word to use. As I was preparing the sermon this week, I came across this example that really shows the uh, the hostility, the animosity between these groups of people. I didn't realise, but it wasn't lawful for a Jewish woman to help a Gentile woman, give, woman giving birth because to do so would bring another heathen into the world. That was what it was like in ancient times. And the Gentiles were no better than the Jews in their disdain for each other. And this animosity between the Jews and the Gentiles is reflected here in this letter that Paul is writing to the Ephesians. And what he says, even in verse 11, where he talks about you the uncircumcised and those who were circumcised. A scornful term that was used by the Jews to describe anybody who wasn't Jewish. An act, a circumcision given by God to Abraham to identify his chosen people an outward sign of his covenant with his people. But both the physical right and the word became used as a word of division, a word to mark separation and alienation. Have you ever felt like an outsider? 
Uh, Glenda and I spent nine months in Texas in the US. Uh, we went there to learn Spanish uh, before we went down to South America to work uh, with HCJB. And our visa to be in America at that time identified us as resident aliens. If you didn't feel like you didn't belong until you read that, we, we, we didn't belong there, according to the government. We, we had great friends um, well, and made friends while we were there and loved our time there. But we were outsiders. And our visa, every time we opened it up, <laughs> you're a resident alien. Really felt wonderful to be that. And Paul says here in verse 12, Remember that at the time you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope, without God in the world. Just think, if you've got your Bibles open, just look at that verse again, verse 12. The Gentiles in Ephesus were Christless, separated from Christ. They were not part of this messianic people, God's chosen people. They had no hope of a Messiah the Jewish people were waiting for. They were stateless, excluded from citizenship in Israel. Israel was a nation under God, a theocracy. And the Gentiles were, were no part of that. They were on their own, separated. They were friendless, foreigners to the covenants of promise. God had bound himself to his people with these wonderful covenants, these wonderful promises The Gentiles had no part in those promises. And so Paul says they were without hope and without God in the world. A sad state. Without hope. Without God. Cut off. Separated. Alienated. Outsiders in the true sense of the word. And then we come to a little word in verse 13, that makes the world of difference. And Paul loves this word. If you look, read through Ephesians, you'll see it mentioned a lot. It's the word, but. This is what it was like, but. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Christ's sacrificial death on the cross which Paul talks about in the first part of of Ephesians 2, hasn't just brought us from spiritual death to life. It's reconciled us to God. Hasn't just done that. Hasn't just brought us away from God to be near to God. It's also brought Jews and Gentiles together. We're now reconciled as one. We are now one people. There's now no longer difference, no longer this animosity between us. And in doing this, Paul explains the rest of this letter that God has created a new humanity and we are it today. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace, our our peacemaker, who has made the two groups one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside, verse 15, in in his flesh, the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose, and here it is, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. 
and one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. Verse 17, he came and preached peace to you who were far away, the Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, the Jews. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Through Christ, through Jesus, God has made, has created one new humanity. Bishop John Reed was a um, distinguished leader of the Anglican Church in Sydney um, and Bishop of South Sydney from 1972 to 1993. And he tells about a part of his ministry um, in the late 1950s, I think when he was a rector. And he was driving a school bus to school, backwards and forwards, um, that carried both white students and Aboriginal students in this bus. And he grew tired of the squabbling between these boys, divided by race. And one day an argument just became, just, it became too much and he pulled the bus over to the side and he stopped the bus and he stood up and he thought, this, is, this has got to stop. And so he turned to the white boys who were on one side of the bus and he said, what colour are you? And they said, we're white. And he says, no, you're green. Only green people travel on my bus. What colour are you? And the boys said, we're green. And then he turned to the Aborigine boys, boys and said, what colour are you? We're black. No, you're green. Only green boys travel on my bus. What colour are you again? We're green. As he drove away, there was peace on the bus. But it didn't last long. But Reed had the right idea. What was needed to mend this disunity and this division, this animosity on his bus, was a new race, the green race. But it didn't last. He couldn't pull it off. But Jesus did. Verse 14, he has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Now, Paul is referring here to an actual physical wall in um, the temple in Jerusalem. In in Herod's time, it was uh, a a huge, um, solid um, rock wall, um, two metres tall, wide, big, thick rocks. Uh, that divided the court of Gentiles between the court of the Jews, the court of Israel. And the notices on this barrier in this temple did not say trespassers will be prosecuted. This notice says, said trespassers will be killed. That was the dividing wall that kept Jews and Gentiles apart. Jesus destroyed that wall and has brought the two people together, creating a new humanity. He's brought those of us who were previously away from God, near to God, as his people. And consequently, Paul says in verse 19, as a result of what Christ has done for you, you are no longer foreigners, no longer strangers. Once we were outsiders, once we were cut off from God, 
cut off from the blessings of being God's people. And now, because of what Christ has done, our status has changed dramatically. Now we belong like we never belonged before. And to illustrate this amazing thing that God has done through Christ, the new privileges that we have as this new humanity, Paul presents in his next verses, verse 19 to 22, three models of the church I want to look at this morning. Three models that describe this new humanity. A city, a family, and a temple. Paul says in verse 12 that the Gentiles used to be stateless and outsiders. But now, in verse 19, he says we're no longer that. We're no longer foreigners, no longer strangers. We are fellow citizens with God's people. For those of you who are not, uh, for whom Australia is not the country that you were born in, um, you'll understand this and what I'm going to say. Um, sometimes you miss your home. Sometimes you miss the land that you are from. At the end of the first Lord of the Rings movie, um, we're watching it here in Chermside Park, and as the credits started rolling, tears welled up in my eyes. Now, Glenda will tell you I cry at most movies. Um, or not cry, I tend to weep at, at movies. Um, this time I was crying because I'd seen my country and all its beauty and all its grandeur. Not Middle Earth, I'm not a hobbit. I wouldn't mind being an elf. I could identify as one of them if I could. But where it was filmed, this land of New Zealand, that Peter Jackson just did such an amazing job of portraying. So there was a mixture of nostalgia. There was a mixture of, um, of missing home. This is where I'm from. I saw places I knew near our home. But there's also pride. Pride, this is my land, the land of my birth. This is what New Zealanders did. They made a movie out of The Hobbit that no one, or The Lord of the Rings, that no one had ever done to the scale that they did. They pulled it off. I have a sticker on the back of my car. Um, anyone know what it is? A fern, thank you. A silver fern, a symbol of New Zealand. I should have a sticker of a kangaroo as well. Um, I'm proud to be a New Zealander as I'm proud to be an Australian. Citizenship was a source of pride in the ancient world. In the Greco-Roman culture, Paul is writing to here in, to the Ephesians, citizenship was highly prized. It defined who you were, the city that you were from. And Paul was, had a Roman citizenship and he, that, he was proud about this Roman citizenship. Even when he was arrested, the authorities couldn't um, try him because he was a Roman. They had to send him back to Rome for his, for his trial. But Paul rejoices um, in not his Roman citizenship, but in the citizenship he has as being part of God's kingdom, even more so than being a Roman. Now, I might be proud of my New Zealand citizenship and my adopted Australian citizenship. You might be proud of your citizenship, whatever that might be, Australian or, or whatever. But our real citizenship is the citizenship, that, the one that really matters, is the one that we have because of the fact that we have been brought by Christ. 
the citizenship that brings us into God's kingdom because of what Christ has done for us. It's what Paul says to the Christians in Philippi. Our citizenship is in heaven, in Philippians 3.20. And he goes on to say in that letter that as a result of that, our future is not here. This is not our home. We may... It's not our permanent home. So don't put our roots down, Paul says to the Philippians. It's not where we're supposed to reside forever. We're not going to reside. Our permanent home is eternity in heaven. We might have passports. We're travellers now in this country, but our home is in heaven. That's who we are. That's our identity as followers of Jesus. And now Paul turns to the second image of this new humanity, and it's God's family. He goes from from the grandeur of a kingdom. Now we've seen a kingdom on display the last week or two of of during the, the funeral of Queen Elizabeth, and it's a grand kingdom. Paul moves from a kingdom that's even grander than that and moves to a picture of intimacy. A picture of family. Verse 19. And also we are members of God's household. Our identity is the intimacy of being in a family. And not just any family, but the family of God. To have a passport identifying us as a citizenship is one thing. But to be in a family is something else. And this family is the church. Brothers and sisters that share the same father. Church is not just a gathering of diverse people that have come from all sorts of the city to be here today. We're united because of our united faith in Christ. And that's what church is. The families that we are part of, the family that we belong to. You belong to me and I belong to you, whether you like it or not. You know the saying, you can choose your family, your friends, but you can't choose your family. You can't choose your church family. Families are not always perfect, are they? Your sister, and I'm talking about your natural siblings here, your sister can sometimes be a pain in the neck. And your brother drives you crazy with his know-it-all attitude. And you can put any other descriptions you want to put with your family there. I'm not necessarily talking about my family and saying those. They may be watching this in New Zealand. Um, but that's family life. And it can happen in churches as well. We can get on each other's nerves. We can drive each other crazy. Disagreements can arise. Relationships can become strained. Just as they are sometimes in our natural families. Paul doesn't address it here, but he does in Colossians. He tells us and shows us how we are to live as part of this family that we've been called into being God's family. So it says in Colossians 3 verse 12 
So chosen by God, for the, this is from the, the message, he just gives a different slant of this than what the NIV takes it. He talks about like being putting on clothes. So chosen by God for this new life of love, this, this new humanity that we're talking about, dressed in the wardrobe God picked out for you. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, discipline. Be even tempted, contented, sorry, even tempered, content with second place, quick to forgive an offence. Forgive as quickly and completely as the Master forgave you. And regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic all purpose garment. Never be without it. I love how Eugene Patterson wraps all that up and how we might dress for the morning. So the family of God, the church, the community of faith is to be a community that's characterised by compassion rather than sensitiveness and sensitiveness. Humility rather than pride. Meekness rather than aggression. Forgiveness rather than holding grudges. You know, who we think we are individually shapes the flavour of our family relationships. Who I think I am as an individual shapes my family relationships. We see this being played out even today with members of the royal family who want to have a certain place or don't want to be part of the family. If I think I'm special, then I deserve to be treated special. If I think my views are the only way to go, the right ones, one way or another, you'll hear about them. But when we see ourselves as we really are, when we remember that at one time we were this, but now we are this. At one time we were separated, now we are near to God. Because of what Christ has done for us in redeeming us and saving us and forgiving us, maybe then we'll treat each other like Paul says we should treat each other. Demonstrating compassion, showing kindness, humility, gentleness, forgiveness. So first Paul says this new humanity is like a kingdom. It's like a family. And then he says we are God's temple in verse 20. And Paul describes three aspects of of this new temple. It's foundations, it's cornerstones and it's building stones. Nothing is more important than a a stable foundation in a building. I'm not a builder, but I understand that is true. Um, I I enjoy, who who likes Lego Masters, watching Lego Masters on TV? Ah, one or two of us, great, okay. Um, I I just love the way they construct, I used to play with, when we knew our our first child was going to be a boy, um, I then had a pen friend in Singapore and we had her ship over a Lego set. We couldn't get them in New Zealand. You had to pay a huge amount of money for them back in those days. And, we, and so we had our first Lego set before our son was even born. And I used to love playing with that Lego set with him and the other kids that came along as well. But you see these guys on TV making these incredible masterpieces from much bigger than a little plane, a little car that we used to make as we were younger, as you were younger. Um, 
and they showed the importance of how these foundations were so the structure didn't fall down later on. So they would spend literally hours making a foundation and getting it right before they then added these other bits to the, to the, um, the structure. I think this is Joss and Henry's winning piece, I think, from the last episode. So the foundation of a building is essential as it is in creating a masterpiece like Lego. And Paul says the church, which he's describing here as this temple, is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Prophets and and apostles had this role of teaching. So we can assume that Paul is talking about here that the foundation of the church is the teaching, the word of God, on which the church is established. And we need to ensure that we stay true to that foundation, the word of God. God's word never changes. It's the same yesterday, today, tomorrow. It's the firm foundation on which our faith is based, the word of God. And it doesn't need changing. It doesn't need updating with every new generation, with every thing that comes along, being adapted and fitted into things in our changing culture, removing or watering it down when unpopular truths, when, when its truths become unpopular to what culture is saying we should be doing, when it's counter to today's ideologies, the new truth that is being presented in the world today. The word of God is complete and it's truth and we must stand on it and stand for it as a church. The rock on which we build our lives. As important as the foundation is uh, to a building, another component, maybe even of more importance, is the cornerstone. This um, stone that helps keep the rest of the structure um, steady, it sets the structure, it keeps it in, in um, every part of the building in plumb and line with, with each other, each other part. And Paul says the cornerstone of this temple is Christ Jesus himself. This idea of, of Christ being the cornerstone was mentioned way back even in the Old Testament. Um, Isaiah, in Isaiah 28, writes, See, I lay a foundation in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. Psalm 118, the psalmist writes about the stone the builders rejected, which becomes the capstone, the cornerstone. And Jesus takes this verse in in Psalms and and applies it to himself in Matthew 21, um, where where it says, the Jews rejected the Messiah, but one who becomes the cornerstone of this new temple is Jesus, the one that they rejected. Jesus is the cornerstone. Everything else fits into it from here. From in him, the whole body, verse 21, is joined together and rises to become this holy temple in the Lord. Jesus is the rock on which our church, our lives are grounded, are built, are, are connected to. And then we come to this last couple of verses in this chapter, verse 22, and in him you also are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And Paul's alluding to in these verses 
that we are building stones of this temple. Peter picks up a little bit more clearer in 1 Peter 2 where he says, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. We are living stones in the temple of God. God dwelt among his people, the Israelites, firstly in a tabernacle and then in a glorious temple that was built by King David's son Solomon. That was later destroyed and then rebuilt by Herod the Great. And this last temple in Jerusalem was a wonder of the ancient world. Huge rocks, marble rocks and laid with gold that sparkled in the, for miles away around um, the, the, the country, the countryside. God doesn't live in a temple, in a tabernacle, a magnificent temple. He lives in the church. He lives among his people. We are the dwelling place of God. The foundation of this temple is the word of God. The cornerstone is Jesus who holds it all together. The stones that make up this temple are the living stones. You and I. The people whom Christ has redeemed. We are the temple in which God dwells. Just think about that for a moment. Individually, temple of the Holy Spirit, the church, the temple of God. Every Christian is a temple. Every church is a temple to the Holy Spirit. King Herod's temple may have been a wonder of the ancient world, as was Solomon's temple before it. This new temple, made up of living stones, people, redeemed people, is a magnificent wonder of the modern world. No matter where they meet, no matter where they gather, is God's temple, his dwelling place, his palace where he governs us, his temple where we worship him and commune with him. So take a look around you. What do you see? We may be an ordinary bunch of people. Our building may look tired. It's certainly not Westminster Abbey. You saw that last week. But in these verses, Paul describes how glorious this place is. How glorious and wonderful the church is. We were once far off from God. But because of what Christ has done, we are now near to God. In fact, we're not just near to God. We're members of God's family. So let's love each other as brothers and sisters. Let's be family together. And let's welcome others into this family as God brings them to us. We're being built upon the foundation of Scripture, the Word of God, with Christ, the one who holds it all together. So let's hold true to this Word of God. Let's make it the foundation of who we are, what we believe in, what we do, 
how we act. Let's line up our lives with Christ. Christ the cornerstone. Becoming more and more like him as we grow closer and closer to him. And finally, we're the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. He dwells with us individually. He dwells with us as a community of believers. So let the knowledge that God dwells here among us influence us, our attitudes, our behaviours, our worship. Let's live holy lives. Let's live the way that he calls us to live as his temple. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for these words from Paul. Thank you for this image that Paul presents of who we are in Christ. Part of your kingdom, members of your family, a temple of your Holy Spirit. Father, may these images go with us as we reflect on them, as we, imagine, as we think who we are, what Christ has done for us. Father, make us the church that you have designed. Make us the church that you have purposed us to be. And all of that, may we bring you glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.